Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. We are beginning this new series this morning where we're going to spend a few weeks talking about something that, quite honestly, uh, I'm not very good at. And I think if you were honest uh, with yourself, that you would admit the same thing, that you're not very good at this either. The title of the series is Morning, Noon, and Night, and I want to set up the series by going directly to the Word of God. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, and so here's a little bit of the backstory. One day, Jesus shows up at his good friends, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus's house. And back then, since there were no smartphones, Jesus couldn't text him to let him know that not only was he stopping by, but he was with 12 of his closest friends as well. And first century Palestine rules of hospitality dictated the following protocol. Anytime you received guests, you would honor them by getting a pail of water and letting them wash their feet when they enter your home. If they were staying longer than a day, that you give them a place to rest, provide a place for them to rest and sleep, and obviously feed them while they're there. But in this case, uh, Jesus shows up with 12 of his closest friends. So ladies, let's set the scene here. Uh, Let's say a good friend of yours shows up unexpected, unannounced one day with 12 of their closest friends. Uh, Do you think uh, that would put a little angst in your your heart there like that, thinking about that, how you're going to deal with that, right? And imagine not only only is it, you know, these people showing up unexpected, uh, it's Jesus. (laughs) So it's not just the number of people, it's like who it is. I mean, like, you know, this, this is Jesus, right? So, uh, so, you know, you've got a lot of things to do, man. You're, 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 you're wanting to put, you no, know, because it's Jesus, the Son of God. This can't just be any party. This has to be the epic party of all parties, right? So think about uh, how you would want everything to be just perfect in every way. After all, it's Jesus, right? So that's probably what's going through Mary's mind here. She's scrambling around trying to get everything done, get the food prepared, get the guest rooms ready. It was no doubt a very uh, hectic and stressful situation for her. So let's go ahead and read about it in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened and listened while he was teaching. But Martha was distracted. Everyone say distracted. Distracted. With much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So one day Jesus and his 12 closest friends show up unannounced at a friend's house while he's there. He does something kind of interesting. He seems to celebrate one of the sisters and in a way kind of shames the other sister. Maybe, maybe he didn't shame her, but, but he certainly called her out. I mean, uh, Martha, Martha, right? The two Marthas, we all know when mom rolls out more than one name, it's probably not a good sign, right? 
and especially if the last name is like Curtis Alvin Wright. <laughs> yeah, I was named after a chipmunk, so now you know that. <laughs> you know it's a bad day when the full name is rolled out there, right? But the doubling of your name, that's certainly no compliment. Martha, Martha. So what is it that Jesus was so pleased about with one sister and so disappointed about with the other? Well, first of all, let's be clear. He's not highlighting one personality type over another. Because remember, he created both of them, right? He knows how they're wired. He created both Mary and Martha. He knows what their talents, their traits, their personalities are. He knows Mary's a, a stop and smell the roses type of person. And he knows Martha is a, a type A kind of high stress, tends to get high stress easily type person. So G Jesus isn't shaming her because of how she was built. He knows her Myers-Briggs. Myers he knows her top five strengths on the strength finder. He wasn't rebuking Martha for serving. I mean, that was something that needed to be done, right? Martha's problem wasn't what she did, but how she did it. And what she missed out on because of that. See, Martha did a good thing. She just did it the wrong way. Another way to put it would be to say, Martha lost her why. She lost sight of the why. Eugene Peterson, author of the Message Paraphrase Bible in one of his study Bible notes, puts, he, he says this. He says, Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted means not paying attention. It means not having a center or an anchor, and then you're being pulled this way and pulled that way by whoever or whatever. In other words, Martha lost sight of the why. One sure way to become weary in well-doing is to lose sight of the why. Here's why. When you lose your why, you lose your way. When you lose sight of the why, you'll always lose sight of the way. And in this story, Martha clearly lost sight of the why. So up front, I want to tell you what the goal of this new series is, what the purpose is, morning, noon, and night. It's actually twofold. First, to help us recognize how easily, how easily we can be distracted from the important things in life. And then second, how to figure out a daily rhythm that, that feeds our soul and is sustainable over the long haul, able to take us to where we want to be down the road three, five, 10, 15, 20 years from now. So, Back again, Jesus and his 12 closest friends show up at Mary and Martha's front door. Martha's wanting to be a good host, begins getting stuff ready. The problem was Mary wasn't helping her. So you can imagine at some point, you know, Martha's in the kitchen. And she's realizing, where's Mary? Where's Mary? Where's Mary? And so she goes walking around. She, you know, she goes and walks into the dining room. No Mary. She goes into the kitchen. No Mary. She goes out into the garden. She goes out into the barn. Where's Mary? Where's Mary? And then finally she goes out into the courtyard because this is where the company would convene. It's kind of had an open area, open uh, air area of each of the homes. And that's, that's where the company would meet and convene. There Jesus was gathered with his disciples, probably with uh, Martha's brother Lazarus, and lo and behold, there's Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, hanging on every word that he spoke. When Martha saw this, she lost it. I mean, she went straight up and turned left. And at this point, she's not only mad at Martha, she's mad at Jesus too as we're going to see here. We know that because she actually interrupts him, and I can see her standing, fuming mad, maybe have, having a spoon in her hand, you know, still got some guacamole on it. Because, <laughs> right? Shaking that as she interrupts Jesus. 
verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to come and help me. Can you imagine that? Interrupting Jesus. Excuse me, Jesus. I'm going to let you finish in a second. But uh, in case you hadn't noticed, I can use a little help around here, right? That guac and chips you're eating, you know, that didn't just make itself. That refreshing drink, you know, someone made that, right? And that someone was me, and I could sure use a little help here. So here's the big idea. Here's the sermon in a sentence for this morning's message. If the things we're doing for God aren't fueled by the time we're spending with God, we will eventually begin to think that we're God. Let's say that again. If the things we're doing for God aren't fueled by the time we're spending with God, eventually, not right away, but eventually we'll begin to think that we're God. So at this point, Martha's a hot mess, but the point of the message isn't to shame Martha. It's to learn from Mary so that we can rise up and serve with a heart like Martha. When we lose sight of the why, we get distracted with many things, and then inevitably, we end up where Martha is in this story. So where was Martha in this story? Jesus tells us in in verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Where was Martha? She was anxious and troubled about many things. Now today, for us in this culture today, It's not just the dinner party that fuels this. Today, the thing that creates busyness in our daily lives and leading to anxiety and trouble is the device that you're looking at to make sure that your dinner party is not just good, but good enough for the Son of God, So I'm sure, you know, Martha, recognizing who the guest was, you know, she, she gets out her iPad. And so she goes on Pinterest because, you know, to get some ideas, because this is Jesus. She's got to come up with something. She's got to knock this out of the park, right? So she gets on Pinterest, and she starts looking at some hosting ideas, right? But then she remembers, oh, yeah, that seems like I saw a recipe for that killer guacamole, right? So, so she gets the laptop out, and she pulls that up, and, and then she pulls up YouTube, how to make killer guacamole. So she's got the iPad here looking at Pinterest, and then she's got the laptop here looking at the YouTube video, how to make killer guacamole. And then all of a sudden she remembers, oh, I was supposed to order that. So she pulls out another device, and she goes on Amazon, and uh, she's got to order what, because she's, I'm going to do this while I'm remembering it, right? So she's got all this stuff going on, right? So there comes a point where you think, how many electronic devices do I need? Siri, hey, Siri, where's my... So here's a number for you, 1,617. This is the number that, on average, Americans touch the screens of their cell phones every day. Now, there's only 1,440 minutes in each day, so I'm going to do the math for you. That means we're touching our phones, on an average, more than once a minute each day. Now, that comes out to about four hours per day of phone usage. Now, which, that's not bad. Okay, you can couple that with the four hours on the average that we watch TV, okay, Netflix, right? 
So couple the, the four-hour screen time on your cell phone with the four hours that on the average that we watch TV. And basically, what we have in this day and age is we find out that distraction is a full-time job as we're spending eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, pulled towards some type of electronic distraction, which according to Jesus, not me, according to Jesus, leads down a pathway to anxiety and trouble. Now, question, why is it so stinking hard to close these apps out? Why is it so hard to ignore that electronic device when it's there by you, right? Why is that so hard? I mean, come on, most of us know that we spend way too much time on these things, right? I mean, if we're honest, we would admit we spend way too much time on those devices. But why is it so stinking easy to get distracted by these things? I mean, one minute you're checking an email, and 45 minutes later, after the 14th TikTok video that's hilarious, (laughs) you realize you've been on the screen for 45 minutes, which would be bad enough. But once you snap yourself out of that social media stupor, right, then you try to get back to what you were doing. Listen to this. This is amazing. According to studies, it takes 23 minutes and 15 seconds, no lie, 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back to productivity. Anytime we're distracted from something, it takes over 23 minutes just to get back to where you were at that point before you got distracted. So how is it so easy to spend so much time on these devices and how come it's so hard to stop? I'll tell you why. It's because some of the smartest people in the world have designed these apps to exploit psychological vulnerabilities and make it as easy as possible for us to not just open those apps, but keep opening them and keep coming back to them. Years ago, there was a study done where they got a bunch of pigeons. And they, they, they set up this little cage thing with this lever connected to this bin with some food pellets in it. And so the, the pigeons figured out that if they pecked the lever, that a pellet of food would, would drop out. Right? So... Once the, and it didn't take them long to figure that out. Once the pigeons figured out how that worked, they were pecking on that lever quite frequently because they could, you know, get a pellet. But once the novelty wore off, right, they, they became less and less interested in the lever. So occasionally, you know, they would go back and peck on the lever and, and get a pellet, but not near as often as they did when they, when they first started pecking on that lever. So they just go over there every now and then, peck on the lever, and get a pellet when they needed it. Basically, they came to the place where they saw that lever as a delivery vehicle for food, okay? So the scientists toyed with the system and designed it to where the pellet drops would be random. Not every time that they pecked on the lever, just every now and then. And they never knew when it would, a pellet would drop, right? Sometimes they'd peck on it, sometimes a pellet would drop, sometimes it wouldn't. Now, this is interesting. Once they made the, the system irregular, says the pigeons became full-fledged addicts. Isn't that interesting? Once they made it random, not every time, just random, the pigeons were just locked in on that. They came, became full-fledged addicts. And in his book, Digital Minimalism, a guy by the name of Cal Newport references that study with the pigeons. And he underscores this link between the random reward and the pigeons' addiction. How they would just sit there and peck and wait and peck and wait and peck and wait. And they would actually sit there pecking the lever until it destroyed their health. They couldn't be convinced to leave the lever. Why? Because there was a novelty to whether or not a pellet was going to drop out or not. Not unlike a slot machine. You realize that 
this is amazing. More money is put into slot machines every year than is, than is spent on the entire film industry and Major League Baseball combined. It's a lot of money. Got to peck on that lever, man. This might be the time. This might be the time. And the people sit there like pigeons because they don't know if they're going to get the reward. And your brain keeps telling you, maybe this will be the time. Maybe this will be the time. Which, and here's my point. Many apps use that same technology, playing on our attraction to random rewards. Seriously, they do. Think about it. If you have an app on your phone that you didn't have to pay for, they're getting money somehow, right? You're not stupid. They're getting money somehow, right? And the money that they're getting in many cases is from advertisers who... I mean, they, they need to show the advertisers that, look, if you buy these ads, here's what you're going to get. And what value is it? The value is you and me pecking away at that app, just pecking away, coming back. This might be the time. This might be the time. Oh, wait, I only had two likes last time. Well, look, it's up to 14. I wonder what it's going to be in an hour from now. Boy, it got quiet in here, didn't it? <laughs> so in their best interests to make us open the app. They're tracking every time you open it. They're tracking how long you stay on there. They're tracking how many times you swipe. And they're doing everything that they can to make it probable that you're going to spend as much time opening and coming back to that app as possible. Now, all right, having said that, let me make clear, <laughs> this isn't an anti-Instagram, destroy your smartphones or iPads and laptops, let's all build log cabins and move out in the wilderness with solar panels and build butter churns, right? <laughs> no, that, that's, not, that's not what the sermon's saying. The, the sermon is this. The sermon is let's use technology and not be used by technology. That's the sermon. Let's realize that the system is rigged and not in our favor. Not in our favor. Let's get our time back and our life back. Let, let, let's not be given over to what's leading us to higher levels of anxiety and trouble. Determine not to be too busy. Have, have intentional pauses to, to breathe and, and determine to, to live in the moment. Where do you want to be? Who do you want to become? What do you want life to look like in 2, 3, 5, 10, 15 years from now? My homiletics professor in seminary once told the class, he says, you know, use an old Chinese proverb every now and then in your sermon. The people will think you're going really deep. So put the floaties on. We're going out to the deep end because I got a Chinese proverb for you right here. And here it is. If you don't change your direction, you'll end up exactly where you're going. Is that good? Huh? Was that deep? Huh? I mean, that's right up there with this Chinese proverb, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> and and that, that's more profound than you think. So my question to you is, where are you going? Where are you going? With, with the life that you're currently living, where is that going to take you? Where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in 10 years? What, will you be full of peace or will you have higher rates of anxiety and trouble. Let's do what God's called us to do. Let, let's hear the voice of our, our shepherd leading us to the still waters, leading us to the green pastures, leading us to the table that he's prepared for us in the table of our enemies. God wants our souls to be healthy. 
If we want to have a healthy soul, then we need to learn to do what David did. What did David do? Psalm 131, verse 2. He says, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, I got to be honest, first time I read that, I'm like, what? What, what, What's a calm, quiet soul have to do with a weaned child? But all you moms who have breastfed, you know exactly what David was talking about here. You ever seen a child that's ready to get breastfed trying to tear his mother's clothes off? He can't enjoy being with her because he wants something from her, right? That's Martha. Right here, this is Martha, right? She's with Jesus, but she's not really in the moment with Jesus, right? Why? Because she wants something from him, right? Mary, on the other hand, is like a weaned child. Having been well-fed and, you know, you know, given the meal that she can just kind of snuggle up to, to mom or dad, or in this case, just, you know, Jesus and, and just enjoy being in the moment with him. I don't want anything. I don't want anything from you, Jesus. I, I, I just see the benefit of just kind of hanging out at your feet here and listening to you teach. Another way to say it would be Mary made room for Jesus to do whatever he wanted. Mary made room for Jesus to do whatever he wanted. We just sang that. What a great prayer to pray as you begin each day. And I'll be honest, I've started praying this as as I've done this study. I actually have started praying this every day. God, please quiet and calm my soul today like a weaned child where I can just enjoy being in your presence and, and hanging out with you. Don't want anything from you. I don't want anything from you. I just want to be in the moment with you not striving for anything, just just appreciating your your presence and your grace, Lord. And ultimately, isn't this what we all want? Sure. Ultimately, isn't this what we we all want this? We don't want to be, we don't have, we don't want to be anxious. We don't want to have trouble. We we just want to, you know, bask in that presence of peace and assurance. I want to be the husband of my bride for however many years that I have left on this planet. See, it's not just about being in the moment with God. It's just being in the moment with those people who are important to you in your life, with your wife, with your children. Right? I want to be the husband of my bride for however many years that I have left on this planet. I want to be in meaningful relationships with my children and grandchildren for however many days that I have left on this planet. As I look into the future, my future... There's coming a day, and it's sooner rather than later, when someone else is going to be shepherding this church. And Sue and I have been praying a lot, a lot about this and what that's going to look like. But until then, I, I want to lead well. And I can't lead well if I'm not well, if I'm not, if I'm not healthy. I can't lead well if my days are filled with anxiety and trouble. But as I look into the future, if I'm honest with God and with myself, I see some things in me that are working against that calm and quiet soul. I see some things that are distracting me from where I want to go and where I want to be. And those are the things that I, and those are the things that you need to declare war on beginning today, beginning today. So how did David quiet and calm his soul? Well, when did he find time to to do that? Because when you read about David's life, I mean, in many ways, it was a train wreck. You talk about anxiety and trouble. You look up anxiety and trouble in the dictionary, it has a picture of David's family. 
I mean, when he wasn't being attacked by lions and tigers and bears, oh my, his father-in-law put a bounty on his head and sent a posse out to find him and kill him. And when the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and his father-in-law weren't hunting him down, his crazy wife criticized him for no other reason than the way he worshiped God. With all this going on, with all the, I tell you, David's, David's family was a wreck. David's family put the funk in dysfunctional. <laughs> with all this going on, how'd you do it, David? How did you quiet, how did you anchor your soul to God? He tells us in Psalm 55, it was by a daily routine and rhythm of calling out to God. Psalm 55, 16, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Verse 17, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. There is the title of the series, Morning, Noon, and Night. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. That's what David did. Notice, look, David didn't say, well, I'm going to have my quiet time. No, no, no. Look, you, most of us have a quiet time. Hopefully you have a quiet time, right? Where you set aside the first part of each day to spend with God, and that's good. But you need to understand, your quiet time sort of like the pregame huddle, right? Where, where you're in the locker room, you know, getting amped up to go out to the game. You know, you got your earbuds in, and this is how I fight my battles, you know? And you're getting all psyched up to go out, you know, and face the day. So your quiet time's kind of like the, the pregame huddle in the locker room. But then you head out that front door, that's the game. That's the game, right? The rest of the day is your game, right? You know, and, and that's where you got to have your game face on, right? Because you're going to face some things that you have no idea yet that you're going to be facing. And it's important. It's important that you have your game face on. But my experience is this, and I think many of you have found this to be true as well. I have some days where my quiet time only gets me <laughs> to like 9.30 or 10, right? I mean, some days, you know, I have a quiet time, and it's good, and I'm good for the day. But, man, there's some days, you know, 9.30 or 10, I, I bump up into some stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to reboot. You know, I, I got I to gotta get back, spend some time with, with the Lord, right? Because sometimes I have days where, you know, before noon, things, that hap- things happen that make me restless and cause me to start squirming like an unweaned child and getting cranky and fussy and selfish. David was smart. Because he realized that his pregame quiet time huddles sometimes wore off. So he said, I'm going to have to spiritually reboot a couple more times throughout the day. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to set aside an hour at lunch and an hour at dinner, right? No, no, no. No, this is just a matter of setting aside a few minutes, sometimes just a couple, really, just, just to regroup, get refocused. And, 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 you know, this is going to look different for everyone. Sometimes it's just a matter of stepping back and disengaging from whatever you're doing and taking a deep breath and, and focusing on the Lord. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit being our, our comforter, right? So just ask the Holy Spirit to, Lord, I could use some comfort right now, you know? Sometimes it's as simple as that. Occasionally, maybe mix it up a little bit. You know, recite the Lord's Prayer or maybe read the 23rd Psalm from your version Bible app. You know, maybe, maybe rehearse that verse that jumped out to you in your quiet time that morning. You know, as, as you're trying to reboot, and you, that there's a verse that jumped out at you, and it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I see how God's trying to use that to encourage me today. Put your earbuds in. Listen to a worship song, right? It could be just as simple as a quiet moment where, where you shut your eyes for just a minute, take a deep breath, and just whisper the name Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. And just let Jesus give you that peace and assurance of his presence. Most everyone's familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den, how Daniel defied the king's order not to pray 
right? I mean, we'd all like to think that um, if Christianity were ever outlawed, that we would have that boldness and that faith to defy the law, you know, and go ahead and worship our God like, like, like Daniel did, right? Knowing, but here's knowing the consequences. In, in, in Daniel's case, being fed to the lions. And he knew that. He knew that, but that didn't deter him. But here's the deal. If you want to have faith when it counts, you have to have faith when it doesn't count. Because private discipline leads to public victory. You want to know how Daniel got the strength to go into the lion's den? Let's read it. Daniel 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that is that it was, you know, the king made it official, that, you know, that, that praying for, to anyone except him was against the law, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, verse 10, he knelt down on his knees, how many times? Three times that day. Now, we don't know for sure what times they were, said, you know, that he set aside to pray. But for the sake of our study, you could say that Daniel prayed morning, noon, and night and prayed and gave thanks before his God. So Daniel defied the, the, the order regarding prayer. But here, the bigger takeaway from this story are, are the last seven words of the verse, the last part of the verse. As was his custom since early days. That, that's a huge statement. Don't, don't miss that. Daniel's faith in God and God's favor upon Daniel's life didn't happen through one miraculous event, through some powerful prayer meeting or some powerful worship encounter with God. No, 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 no. It happened as Daniel sought to center himself, center his soul, anchor his soul in the rhythms of God's grace. So how did he do that? With just attention to detail, to the basic spiritual disciplines in life. A guy by the name of Alan Stein, he's a performance coach and author and uh, worked with uh, some of the best athletes in the world, uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Kobe Bryant. And he, he wrote a book called Raise Your Game. And in this book, he talks about the time that he first met Kobe Bryant. They were both speaking at a Nike conference, and, and uh, so Stein asked Kobe if he could watch his workouts. He, he said, I'd, I'd like to watch you work out if, if that's okay. Kobe said, sure, I'll be at the gym at 4 o'clock, and, and I'll be looking for you. Stein said, but wait, aren't you scheduled to speak at like 3.30 tomorrow? And uh, Kobe said, yeah, but that's p.m. So Stein said, he's, four, you mean like you took 4 a.m.? Kobe said, yeah. His exact words were, you're Kobe freaking Bryant. You go to work out at 4 a.m.? So Stein sets his alarm, guzzles some coffee the next morning, goes and meets Kobe at the gym. And I'm going to read, I just want to read this excerpt directly from the book. He said, as he's watching Kobe work out at 4 a.m., he says, for 45 minutes, I was shocked. For 45 minutes, I watched the best player in the world do the most basic drills. I watched the best player on the planet do basic ball handling drills. I watched the best player on the planet do basic footwork. I thought I was going to witness some sizzling, hot, flashy workout. But nope. I watched the best player on the planet do basic offensive moves. Granted, he did everything with surgical precision and superhero intensity, but the stuff he was doing was so simple, I couldn't believe it. Later that day, said he went over to, uh, or after the workout, he went over to thank him. Said, man, I really enjoyed watching your workout. Kobe says, no problem, was glad to have you. Says, then I hesitated, not wanting to sound rude or worse, condescending. But I asked him, I said, Kobe, you're the best player in the world. Why do you just work on this basic stuff so much? 
He said, he flashed that gleaming smile of his and said, why do you think I'm the best player in the game? It's because I never got bored with the basics. Never got bored with the basics. Dear ones, don't ever underestimate what God can and will do through your obedience to just taking care of the small things. Just take care of the small things, right? And over time, not just in one prayer session or, you know, altar call or or worship song. No, no, no. But the cumulative momentum that comes when you establish some rhythms and discipline in your life, that's when you can get calm and quiet before the Lord and start having a healthy soul. Martha wanted to tell Jesus what to do. Mary wanted to listen to what Jesus said he was going to do. The strikingly different mindsets couldn't be clearer. It's as big of a chasm as my will be done and thy will be done. Mary discovered that when you sit at Jesus' feet, you know things other people don't know, and you experience things other people don't experience. Why? Because God shows favoritism? No, no. It's because the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and embrace the command of the psalmist in Psalm 46.10 that says, Be still and know I am God. As you're sitting at his feet, you'll be as confident. He'll trust you with things other people won't hear. You won't miss out on that chance to hear what he wants to do in the world. And even better, you'll get to be a part of it. You'll get to be a part of it. Okay, three questions to kind of keep the discussion going throughout the week. First, where do I want to be in three, five, or ten years? Beyond, where, what, where, where do you see yourself? How do you see yourself in three, five, or ten years? Second, what is one thing that I can do this week to eliminate some of my daily distractions? One thing, just one thing. Third, what does morning, noon, and night look like for me? Because we all have different schedules. It's not necessarily that, you know those specific times, but it's talking about this rhythm throughout the day. So what does morning, noon, and night look like for you? Morning, noon, and night, attention to detail and the rhythms of life. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. If you're here this morning and you're, you're not, you don't know God, maybe you're far from God, or you're just, maybe you used to know God, but you're not where you're, you should be now, and you know it, you know it. It would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where you can come to know your, your creator, your heavenly father, in a, in a very personal and profound way. If you would just pray this simple prayer after me. It's, it's, it's not the words. There's nothing magic in the words. It's, it's believing it in your heart, owning it, and embracing it. So as you pray these words, believe them in your heart. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken, and I can't fix myself. But I believe you can, Lord. Your word says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, that, that we would be saved. So I'm making that confession now, Lord. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, my Lord, and that he rose from the dead for me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me live my life for you from this day forward. While your heads are still bowed, I want to address those that maybe you're, you're dealing with some anxiousness and trouble right now and you're, you feel a little weary and troubled and you recognize the need to be more intentional about taking care of your soul. So, Lord, I do pray for 
those of us that fall into that category. And, and as we lean into you, as we draw close to you, g- give us a merry heart and a Martha work ethic. Help us to learn the benefits of sitting at your feet and letting you heal, refresh, and re- renew our soul. Not wanting anything from you, just, just wanting to be with you. And while we're with you, quiet and calm our soul and convict us with your Holy Spirit to make sure we're taking care of the little things, paying attention to the details of our daily disciplines and give us resolve to not try to do it for a couple of days and then get weary and give up. Remind us that it's in the attention to detail, those thousands upon thousands of reps, those thousands upon thousands of layups, those 4 a.m. wake-up calls, doing today what no one else is willing to do for you so we can do tomorrow what no one else will be able to do for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.